I'm Kiko, I'm an alcoholic. It's so good to be here. Oh my God, you guys have great energy. I almost don't even know how to thank you guys for like welcoming me and Molly. And I love you so much, Molly. Thank you for being my 10 minute. I love you guys. You guys, it's, Molly is just like such a gift in my life. Like the entire time she was sitting there before, like she came up, she's like, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. And she was trying to get my girlfriend to go up instead. And I was like, no, Molly, just gotta do it. And she did it, so yay, Molly, again. Yeah, Molly's just like the wittiest person I know, so it's just an honor to be sober with her and to have her come up here with me. And um, I want to thank Ryan for asking me to come out, and um, it's been great seeing you guys. Like, I love this meeting. I'm a fan of this meeting because of the podcast, and, like, I didn't know that this was the meeting that was being recorded until, like, a few days ago. And when I found out, I was like, whoa! You know, like, I kind of started to, like, fangirl a little bit. Because, <laughs> like, I've gotten so many of my speakers from this meeting for the meeting that I secretary. So it's just like, and it is you. It's your laugh. There's this one person that laughs. And I was even thinking, I'm like, I'll finally get to see who it is that's laughing. It's Charlie. But he's a culprit. So it's just, like, such a trip. Like, I'm hearing you live now. And um, <laughs> it's funny. Anyways, um. It's so good to be here. It's good to see all of you. It's good to meet people. And like Ash and her dad are sober together. Like that's amazing. And Topher and his wife have like a couple daughters. It just reminds me of like my parents. Um, I have two parents. They're both sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they met in AA and they got married in AA, had a huge AA wedding with like hundreds of people. And then they gave birth to me and then my little sister. So it's like, has been around my life my entire life it's just so funny like I knew that my parents were alcoholics I just didn't really know what that meant I knew that they didn't drink they would take me to all their AA parties and like I don't know if you guys know Ohio Street in Los Angeles but like they would always have parties there and they'd bring me and my little sister and I was always ex excited because I knew that there would be cake and like tacos <laughs> and whatever food was there so I love going there and like and my I have uncles that are sober too like my whole family is just riddled with alcoholics it's very genetic. Um, and so like, I would always go to these parties and like, I, I want to say this cause I feel like it's still like, you know, it, it's something that I noticed like as a kid, like going closer and closer, like walking closer and closer to these like AA parties and events. Like, I swear you guys, like I would hear this like roar that was like emitting, like the closer we got, it was like, it just sounded like and I could even hear, I'm like, those people sound so alive, you know? And like, I didn't hear it any play at any place else, like at school, at assemblies, whatever. So there's just an aliveness about us. And I like know that now I can feel it now. Like you guys have that great aliveness here. And um, yeah, and it's really kind of peculiar having like two AA members as parents, like very, they're super active. Like um, they would get like, my mom is like this Japanese immigrant <laughs> who like, you know, drank herself like um, into a blackout on her 32nd birthday and tried to kill herself, woke up in like UCLA psych ward. And my dad is like this tall, funny, stoner, cokehead white guy. And <laughs> like they ended up, and I don't know. So they're just very different, but they're just both amazing people. Like they gave me such a good life. They gave me, like if love could have cured alcoholism, there's just no way I would be an alcoholic. There's no way. Like that's why I just, I know I was born this way. And I remember like, you know, I, like I said, I knew they were alcoholics and some of my friends, like I tell my friends, parents like, oh yeah, my parents are alcoholics. <laughs> and they'd be like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they're sober though. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, 
kind of thing. Just wear my um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's peculiar. And I don't know, like, and I was like this really good child growing up, like really, really, really good. And my little sister was like this super rambunctious little like manipulative shit, honestly. And my my mom would say to me growing up, like, oh, I think Kira's gonna be the alcoholic, Kiko. Like, I'm worried, but I think you're good. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I don't know. And I remember sometimes I'd be really having a hard time. And when like all else failed, my mom would say to me, like, Kiko, why don't you pray? And I'm like, huh? And she'd be like, pray to like God, pray to your higher power. And that always confused me because like we'd never been to church a day in our life. And I was like, what is that? But so if you're new, I just want to welcome you if you're new too. I know there's a lot of people. I love meetings with a lot of new people and a lot of good energy. And then also like a lot of people with time and who are really active. And this is just one of those meetings I can tell. So if you're new, I just like, anything I say at this podium, I feel like will absolutely fail and fall short of like, all this program is and what it has done for me and so many other people like I just want you to know that like there's no way I'll be able to convey it in just like the 40 or so minutes I have up here um but I just really hope you get into it and I hope you just don't like like take full measures you know half measures avail us nothing so take a full measure um and keep taking full measures so yeah and I mean it'll just avail you just things that you don't even think are possible for you so yeah I mean so yeah, like I was saying, good childhood, whatever. Um, and so that's why I was like really confused when I started cutting myself when I was like in eighth grade. Like I didn't understand why I was doing that. Cause I'm like, this should not, I should not be doing this. You know, like I, nothing bad had happened to me. I almost wanted something bad to happen to me so that it would make sense as to why I was feeling this way. Um, and then in high school, I realized the reason why was because I was a writer <laughs> and all writers are depressed or on drugs or want to kill themselves. It's just the <laughs> thing um and yeah and I just kind of like I really made that like my thing I'm like I'm a writer and I like screwed off in high school so that I could just write like I would stay up late writing every single night it was like my big thing I think it kept me alive in a lot of ways if I didn't have that purpose I don't think I would be here um and yeah and I guess I don't usually tell the story of my first drunk but I guess I will because I have a lot of time <laughs> um but I was like it was a couple months before I turned 16 and I just remember like being like I heard my parents talks and I knew that the first time they drank they had this white light experience so I was like okay if I have that then I'm an alcoholic but if I don't I'm good and I did really have that so I was like okay I'm not an alcoholic but I remember being like I didn't care what anybody thought like for the like I thought I was someone that went around thinking I didn't care about what people thought but then in that moment I realized like oh this is what not caring is really like and so like a few months later, I like drank again. And I remember being like, all right, you guys, like I'm gonna get drunk. Like, I'm cause I'm like already at the second time I was drinking. I'm like, what is the point of drinking if you're not gonna get trashed, you know? Um, and I remember like, we were on top of this lifeguard tower in Manhattan Beach I'm from the South Bay. Um, and I remember there was like a New Amsterdam bottle going around and everyone was just taking like a few sips. And I was like, why are they only taking a few sips? Like, that's ridiculous. And then I remember I like grabbed my like, chugged it back like goo, 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 goo. and then I like paused for a second and then I did it again and then I like filled an entire solo cup with like mostly vodka and a little Sprite and I drank two of those because I just didn't even, I thought like beer and vodka were like the same thing I didn't realize that like vodka alcohol content's a lot higher and I got like wasted um and that's kind of how I like it went and I really like the readings that you guys read tonight the last one in particular because I got sober when I was 19 so 
I was pretty young. And um, so I like that last reading. Um, I'm really bad at remembering exactly what was said, but essentially just kind of like the bottom meant me, um, which is funny because other people will like, will tell me like, Kiko, you had a, like a really bad bottom. But for me in my mind, I was like, no, I was 19. It was nothing, you know? Um, but I really like that because I think it's true. Like, I mean, it's also weird here because I feel like I've met people who are like, like bad heroin addicts on the streets who like have a better time being sober than people who like just smoked weed and like drank some. I don't know if that makes sense, but I've noticed that like where some people who do that will struggle more and like struggle to stay sober and not be able to get this thing versus people that like really have like harder bottoms. So I don't know. I just wanted to add that. Um, and, and yeah, so anyways, um, eventually I started dating the druggie of my high school, like when I was like a senior. Um, and that was wonderful. Um, and we just essentially had like a really, really, really alcoholic relationship. We did it for like over a year. And like, I'm, a, I'm of the belief that like alcoholic relationships are like great propellers of <laughs> your rock bottom. I'll send you to your rock bottom quicker. So, um, I was dating him and he was like, he was known as like the guy who did drugs at our school. And eventually like after I graduated high school, like I was doing more than he was. Um, and I remember I went to college and like, that was like an amazing uh, free experience because my dad is like a drug dog. He can yeah. sniff out anything. <laughs> I can't get away with anything with him. And I was finally away from like the grasp of him. So I just like went crazy, honestly. Um, like I found this girl, this girl, Felicia, she had like a fake ID and she, we would just go to like the liquor store every single night. And I'd go like to the disco every single night. And we were just, I was like, never sober it just got to that point and I remember after a semester of college I just was like I need a break like I I just was like I need a break from everything like I like my girlfriend has says this in her talk about how like it got to the point where like I just I dropped out I went home and I was like I just need to like just be able to drink as much as I want for like a month and take a break and need everyone to like get off my back and I'm gonna be fine okay like that's really how I felt like I just need a break um, and my parents were like, get a job. And I was like, what an order, <laughs> you know? Like, I was like, don't you know that I need this right now? Like I needed, I just, and it's just insane. Like, it's funny because like, they, they've like been ingrained these like morals in me my entire life. And just, it's just started to go more and more out the window because of alcohol. And I didn't think that's what was happening. Like I thought they were the ones that were being irrational. Um, I have a good friend who like, she's been struggling to get sober, but I remember like, she told me we're family friends, our whole family knows each other. And she said to me, like, recently, she's like, explaining to me about why her parents are the reason why she relapsed. And she was like convinced of it. And I was like, hmm. And then I remember just, I just listened, I didn't say anything. And then eventually, like, I was talking to my little sister about it and I was like, oh my God, she's just so delusional. Like she really thinks it's her parents. I'm like, I, I feel like maybe I was a little bit like that, but I don't think I was that bad. And she's like, you were. <laughs> you know? I was like, oh really? But I just didn't think that that was the case. Um, it's just insane, like pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization for real. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just like, I... I feel like my rock bottom wasn't that long compared to other people's. I think I already had A in my head, so I like couldn't get away from it. Like I'd been going to like speaker meetings with my parents to hear them. I went to Laguna with my mom one time. It wasn't this meeting, but it was another one. And I just, I love both their talks so much. I love them. I really, really, really love them. They're just amazing people. 
Um, yeah, I love them. Um, but I just terrorize them. Um, Yeah. Anyways, sorry, I was just thinking about them. Um, so I dropped out of college, I went back to theirs. I did not think a job was necessary. Um, and I started just going out every single night and then COVID hit. And that was like uh, a level of hell for me because all of a sudden I'm in quarantine with two sober members. Well, <laughs> And my car, I remember my little shitmobile wasn't like working at the time. So I'd steal one of their cars every night and just go out and meet with my friends. And like, we'd sneak into the PV mall and there was like an ice rink there. So we could sneak into the ice rink. It was really cool actually. And we would just like drink on the ice rink and all over the South Bay, like find places to smoke in PV because that's a beautiful area of Palos Verdes if you've ever been. Um, and it just got to this point where like me and my mom, I remember we got into this like, huge fight after a little bit and I was like, I'm leaving. And she's like, well, you're kicked out. So it depends who you ask what the story yeah. is. My mom's still in her top and be like, when I can't go out. And I was like, oh, you're gone. <laughs> like, did you? Like, I still, and I'm like, well, we said it at like the same time. So it's not really like I got kicked out. But it, it, I kind of did. Um, and then I went to my dealers. I was like, okay, I'm going to go move in with my dealer then. Who was dating my best friend, Hannah, at the time. And me and Hannah and my dealer and all his friends, we were like running amok for a while. I'd be like, you know. Um, on his trampoline late through the night, like playing this little ukulele that I had named Phoenix and like just drinking his beers and and all that. And it was just more of like a mess. Like it was the first time I really experienced like actual brokenness. And I was like, oh shoot, like I don't, I don't know how to get a job. Like I just, I don't, it's just insane to me. Like I'm the type, I'm solo functioning. I just, when I have stuff in my system, I can't do anything else. Like there's no, like it just, the idea of like, even like putting together a resume is like overwhelming to me and I'll like start to have a panic attack. Like that's how I am. Like I just, I'm so low functioning. Like the only thing I can focus on is like just getting my next whatever, you know, to just be able to get out of my head. My, my head is like such a loud place. Like it just doesn't stop ever. It feels like, you know, um, but yeah, eventually I got kicked out of my dealers. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll live in my car. Um, so I was 19 years old, living in my car. I had this 2003 Honda Civic two-door shipmobile and I named her Stella Rana the Honda. And she was like the love of my life. I still miss her to this day. And I just remember like, I, I remember like thinking, I'm like, I'm 19, I'm living in my car. This shouldn't be like, this probably is a problem, you know? But just being like, feeling like there's nothing I could, like I was, I had a delusional mindset where like I had alcohol in, in me and I was thinking like, okay, I'm just gonna write songs. I'm gonna release an album. I'm gonna get a bunch of money and I'm, and I'm gonna be okay, you know? <laughs> and I thought that's how I was gonna get out of it. It's just so delusional when I think about it now, but I just like, I was convinced of it in that moment and pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization for real. I love that phrase because it's just so true. And like, I remember like, I would, I would say like, oh, my bedroom's like the backseat of my car, you know, and like my closet and kitchen is the trunk. And um, I'd be like sleeping in the backseat of my car. And like, I remember the sun would start to come up and those freaking birds would start to chirp and people started like walking their dogs. I'm like, oh my God, I just hope they don't see me like covering myself, like 
jackets and blankets and then like occasionally showing up and my parents being like hey can I shower here um and just like seeing this look like that look on my parents face and thinking that like they were still the ones that were like mistreating me um and eventually I like I would work Postmates sometimes and I got two flat tires in three days. I was driving on my spare tires thinking that like, oh, I'll just drive on my spare for a while. I guess that's like not what you're supposed to do, but that's what I did. <laughs> and like, I just thought it was fine. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, I, I'm so low functioning. Um, car trouble makes me suicidal, like instantaneously. <laughs> that's how I am. Um, and so I was like driving on my tire and then I got another flat tire. I was like, ah, you know, and then I got towed to the American Tire Depot on Western Avenue in Rancho PB and there was a van in the parking lot and I thought it looked like a vintage van. Turns out like other people might call it a sketchy van, but I thought it was vintage and there was this guy in that van and he was talking to me and I could tell he kind of liked me. And so I was like, oh, my tires are being changed. Like, do you want to smoke some weed? So I went in his van, we started smoking weed. And then he's like, oh, do you want to smoke some black? And I'm like, oh, what's that? And he told me what it was. And I was like, oh, well, what does it feel like? Um, and he told me it's a downer and if I wanted, I like, you know, he had uppers afterwards and I was like, what upper? And he's like, oh, crystal meth. And for some reason I've always wanted to try crystal meth. So I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, actually my exact words, my exact words were I'll just try a little. <laughs> and a little turned into me living with him for the next week in that vintage van and and uh, I didn't sleep, not even like, not even one minute for the next seven days. And I didn't eat anything but a cool ranch Dorito like every other day. Um, and I like, I would, he stole a lot of stuff and I would like help him. Um, and, <laughs> and it was just wild, but it got, it was just, he was a dangerous person though. Like it was, it was dark. Um, the second day he told me I was his girlfriend, he didn't ask me, he just told me. And on the third day, he was driving my Stella Ronda and he grabbed my head and slammed it into the gear shift. And um, I think he like punched me in the neck too. I can't remember, he punched me in the neck on another day three or day five, I don't know. So then the fifth day he either, you know, punched me in the neck and then he burned me with a lighter. He was like coming at me, like just throwing stuff at me. And then on the sixth day, he beat me up for two hours. Like he was driving my car and I was stuck in the passenger seat, like with this mentality that like, okay, I can either take this beating and like keep everything I own because I knew if I jumped out, like he was going to take everything. So I'm like, I can either take this beating and keep it or jump out and he takes it all. And I was like, I'm going to just stay here, you know? And he kept beating me up. It was like lump city on this side. Like I had two black eyes. He like came at me with like a knife at one point. He was about to stab me. And I, was like I can't lose my car but then on the seventh day he ended up stealing my car anyways and then so I was like left stranded at the super eight motel it's funny because we drove by that super eight motel today I was like oh that's the one yeah. um and it's just like I just remember being like how did I get here like I I didn't know how like a good like a good girl like me who'd been raised really well like could end up in a situation like this like I just but I want to say, like, this is like the seemingly worst thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. But, and I just remember, because I had this concept of a higher power, and I was like, why would you do this to me? Like, I've been good to people my entire life. Like, what, what did I do to deserve this? And 
eventually I realized like, well, let me tell this first. So I called my friend Hannah, my best friend, and her and her dad came and picked me up and I was so deep in psychosis that I thought every single car that was passing by was like him and his friends following us to beat me to like, to beat me to get to my parents' house so he could kill my parents because he'd like screamed at me at some point that he was gonna kill my entire family and sister. Um, so I started screaming at like my best friend's dad to like drive faster and he's like, what the hell is wrong with her? Um, and they dropped me off at my parents and I like yelled at the gardener across the street because I thought it was him. And I was like, what are you doing here? And my mom was like, Chico, go inside. Uh, and I just remember sitting at that chair in, that li on, like, in my living room and they'd asked me for like the third time that summer, they're like, Chico, do you want to go to rehab? And I finally was like, okay, fine. Like I'll go to rehab. You know, like there was nothing else I could do. Like I, I'd lost my house at that point, you know, like I have my house anymore. Um, and I knew, I just knew, I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to survive like on the streets homeless. Um, and I just remember like just going crazy, like trying to find this car. So I agreed to go to rehab and like, I did like the whole intake phone call process, whatever. Like, of course my mom was all like, oh, cause like I agreed to go to rehab. So she's like doing everything to try to get me to get there faster. And I'm like, dude, mom, you got to chill. Like I'm about to you know, revoke my, my, my yes to this, but, um, <laughs> but I did it. Um, and like, I was just going crazy. I was like posting on everywhere, trying to find this car being like, God, why did you do this to me? Like, why did you take my car? And my dad just was like, I was trying to file a police report. The police like would not listen to me. Like they just thought I was like some stupid girl who'd like essentially like was responsible for getting my car stolen. Um, and my dad like eventually filed it for me because they wouldn't listen to me. And I just remember after like a few days, my dad being like, Kiko, like you may never see that car again. I'm like, don't say that. Like everything I own is in that car, like everything. And he's just like, okay, like, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like your life is safe. I'm like, no, like I don't even care, you know? Um, and then finally he said to me like a few days later, he's like, Kiko, I think that car being stolen might have saved your life. And I don't know why, but like it finally, like I heard it. You know, because like it's if he hadn't, if that guy hadn't like beat me up and stolen my car, like I would have probably still been out there, like doing those drugs, like getting into that life. I'm like, who knows when I would have been able to get out, if I would have been able to get out, you know? And like my God speaks to my dad more than anybody. It's just, it's so funny. Um, and so I finally had this revelation. I'm like, oh my God, like God did this for me. Like God did it so that I, like, I could just get out of this, you know, like get out of that place that I was in. Um, and I said, I'm a writer. So I started writing about it. And right as I started writing about it, there was a knock on the door and it was like the, like a couple cops and they were like, oh, they found your car. And I was like, oh, okay. Like God needed me to be like, all right, you're right, God. And then God gave my car back. But it was like totally shelled out. There was like nothing in it left. He took everything. Um, but yeah, and there was that revelation. I remember like, I just, it's just insane because like for me, I just, I was cursing God in that moment. But that thing was like the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life because it got me sober. Like there was no way I would have, I am like, I just refuse to surrender. I'm an alcoholic. I think alcoholics just like, I've heard this term before being used, which is like the, um, alcoholics are like the Japanese in World War II. Like they just don't surrender. And I can say that because I'm half Japanese. Um, <laughs> but like, but they just don't surrender. Like, I don't know if you guys know, I'm like a World War II nut. And I know that like the Japanese, like, 
you know, they were clearly losing the war. They're like, okay, we're just gonna like, just essentially like get everyone, like kill everyone, kill as many people as we, like we can. It doesn't matter, like, you know. Um, and then they started doing like the kamikaze and then like, it was very clear that they were losing. They still didn't surrender. And then they dropped like one atomic bomb and they're like, no, we're still not surrendering. And then they dropped another, like two. And they're like, mm, no, we're still not gonna surrender. And then like, like America essentially told Japan like, okay, we're gonna keep dropping these atomic bombs on you until you do surrender. And they were still 50, 50. Like, and I was like, that's me, you know? Like, I'm like, I literally like, it was so, it's like, even after that whole terrible thing happened to me, I was like, okay, like, I know like 50% of me was like, okay, I know I have to get like, do something like go to rehab, all that. And then the other half of me was like, no, 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 you know? Um, but I eventually went to rehab and it's just, I, I don't even know, like, I can't even believe that I'm here, you know, like, I just, I knew I, like, something had to be done about the fact that I was never sober ever, you know, I just, I, so I took the suggestions that people gave to me in rehab, like, those days I look back so fondly now, I went to Creative Care in Woodland Hills, I don't know if anyone knows that place, but, like, they really saved my life, like, they would make us do AA meetings every single day on Zoom because it was still pandemic time. And um, it's just so trippy. I, and like, I, I was, I just, the, I was the youngest person there. And I like kept thinking to myself like the entire time, like, oh my God, like, what am I doing here? Like, I'm, you know, like the biggest pussy compared to everybody here. Like, Anne has like, you know, did cocaine for like 20 years straight. Like, and then this girl, Anna from New York has been to as many rehabs as she is like old, you know, she's like been 27 rehabs, 27 years old, you know? And um, there was like, just all these people with all these crazy stories. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm, and I just remember being like, dude, there's, I'm like, I have nothing compared to these people. Like, I gotta go back out there and like, you know, do more things and like qualify. And I remember my, my rehab roommate, Anne, who actually gave me this dress. She's like, Tico, you lived in your car. She's like, I've never lived in my car. And I was like, oh. You know, um, and I don't know why, but that kind of, that kind of struck like a chord with me. But like, I mean, I don't even, I just, it's hard. I think rehab is hard if you're not honest with like, I feel like the people there and the counselors there. Cause I feel like so many people in my rehab, like they would tell me things like when we were having conversations and then like in group and in meetings, they would say the complete opposite of what they've been telling me. Like they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like talking to my sponsor and Dana. And I'm like, that's not what you just told me like 20 <laughs> minutes ago, you know? But like, I I was honest. Like I I just, I don't, I don't even, I, if you're new, I encourage you to be honest. Like it'll save your life, you know? Um, and I was really sick and tired of like the way I was feeling. Like I didn't want to be miserable anymore. Um, and for my, like, in my mentality was like, okay, I'll just be sober for now while I'm rehab. Like, I can't get sober the rest of my life because I've never done acid yet. And, like, <laughs> I have to, like, eventually relapse one day and do acid. Like, that's what my crazy alcoholic brain was telling me. Um, and it was, like, I, I got, like, a sponsor after, like, 60 days. And I remember praying and being like, okay, I know I need a sponsor. And, like, the woman speaking that night, like, just she said that she was bulimic and I was really, really heavily bulimic. And she said that like, she worked at the midnight mission and I was like, Oh, I know the midnight mission. Like this guy Clancy worked there. And then she said she was in the Pacific group. And I was like, Oh, like that's the group my parents are in. And so like, I asked my mom for her number afterwards. Her name was Georgia and Georgia was my first sponsor. And like, she saved my life. Like I went to like sober living after that in Thousand Oaks. I went to a recovery center and um, I just kept taking a direction. Oh yeah. And also like 
I people recommend at least they do like in my home group not to date for the first year I recommend that as well because I didn't do that and I regretted it because I got myself a rehab romance which was not a good idea but I did that and um and he smoked weed the first day he was out and just like kept smoking weed and it was so bizarre because like I was like really getting into AA and he was like smoking weed every day and kept talking to me all the time about how like AA is like a cult and all that and I'm like oh I gotta go do my meeting on Zoom now, you know? And it was just so bizarre, like, but... And eventually I broke up with him because I needed to do... I knew, I'm like, I'm going up and he's going down and it's not working. Um, And that was really hard because, like... I mean, the first eight and a half months, like, literally every single morning I would wake up and think about drinking. Like, without fail, I would just wake up and think about drinking. And I just was like, how can I get sober? Like, how can I stay sober? with like the amount of thoughts I have about not being sober. I just was like, this is insane. Like my brain like wouldn't stop. And I just was like, and I'd heard all these people talk about how like, oh, like they prayed to God about the obsession and then it went away. I'm like, what? Like, why isn't, why, I don't have that. And it just felt like it was never stopping. Like I'd be sitting in meetings and like, like planning my relapse and being like, why is this, I'm doing everything. like. I'm, I have commitments, I'm doing meeting every day, I'm doing the steps, I'm calling my sponsor every single day. And like, and I think it's just like, just take the next right indicated action. Like if you're new and if you're having all these thoughts, like that's okay. Like just, I mean, talk to people about it, but like, it's okay if you're like not sure whether you wanna be sober the rest of your life, like just do it one day at a time. Like that's what people told me. Like I was 19 and I was like convinced. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna be sober more than a year, you know, but I'll do this thing for now. And so I just did, gave it my all like a day at a time, like just until midnight. And that really helped me too. And people were like, you just have to do it till midnight. Like, can you stay sober till midnight? I was like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. So, and then at 1201, I would reset and I'd do it again. And, um, and that saved me. And I remember I had eight and a half months sober. It was Mother's Day. And like me and my home, like my home group throws on like this mountain high convention every year. And it was all on Zoom, but like, I remember that Friday, like there was a whole talent show and like you had to record it because like everything was on Zoom. And so like my mom's a drummer in like a hard rock band. She's like really badass and really cool. And so she was playing the drums with the feet and playing the guitar at the same time while I was playing my ukulele and singing. And my dad who has like zero musical talent was like tapping this tambourine and he kept like going off beat and like throwing me and my mom off. And we would just start laughing so hard. And so it took us like a million takes to get this just like one song like that I had written um but we did it and I just remember like I was feeling so bad that day and I remember driving over being like oh like like just being like sobriety is so hard like I come from my job like and I was working at a rehab which is not a good idea to work at a rehab when you have like five months you know (laughs) um but they get you in sometimes like that um but I remember I just like drove there and we started playing and after we'd done all those takes I felt like I felt really happy and I was like I don't know, like, it just was, like, the moment where, like, oh, like, doing AA stuff equaled me being happy, you know? Like, I could put two and two together. And I remember Saturday was Mountain High. I went to my friend Gola's house, and, like, there was, like, a bunch of us that were there, and we, like, watched all of, like, the talent show and the speakers, and it was just, like, a day where we were, like, laughing really hard together. And Sunday was Mother's Day, and I... I, I should, I got to talk about my grandma. So my grandma, my dad's mom, she's like this, I was talking to, um, I think Gabe about her because Gabe said she's from Europe. My grandma, um, she's this like Swiss woman. She was sober at one point in AA, she's not sober anymore. 
but she's like my number one fan. Like she's just like my best friend, you know? And I remember I would spend like the weekends in high school with her, like just spending the night drinking. She just continuously make me coffee and I just like write on her computer. And she was like my biggest fan when I was drinking, like she would call me and I just like could not call her back. I just couldn't. And like, and she would like go to the beach cause she knew I was always at the beach, like drunk and just doing whatever. And she was like this 90 year old woman, like walking all around the beach looking for me because she was that worried about me, you know? And I remember I was like, for Mother's Day, I was like, okay, I got to get MAGA flowers. I call her MAGA. It's a, I couldn't pronounce grandma when I was younger. So I call her MAGA and it just stuck. Okay. So, um, so I call her MAGA and I remember like, I, I was driving from my rehab job, like to go to the South Bay to see my mom and my grandma on uh, Mother's Day. And I like picked up like flowers on the way and I got these like beautiful orchids from my mom and these beautiful roses from my grandma and I like wrote them both like really nice cards and I remember before I'd gotten sober like I couldn't even write a card you know like I'd be like I'm gonna write the best card like because I'm a writer and I just like couldn't do it like I just couldn't and so I was like I like you know gunned it over to my grandma's and I remember like I had to go do my zoom meeting so I was like no I gotta go really quick but I just wanted to give you these and she was so happy to see me and I remember I gave her the card and on the card, it's like in a sea of people, my eyes will always search for you. And she read it and she's like, oh, that's so sweet. And she's like, I'm so happy that you're here. And then she like hugged these roses. And like in the moment that she hugged the roses, it's like, I felt something like shift in me. It was like, that's when my alcoholic obsession was relieved, like in that moment. And I think it was because it was finally like a revelation of like, oh, I can do this being sober, but I can't do it if I'm drinking. And she really is like my best friend. I love her. Like she has dementia bad now and she keeps thinking I'm her nephew yeah. or her niece or whichever on the day, but it's okay. Like she's just such an iconic woman. And she was the reason like I got my alcoholic obsession relieved because of her. Yeah, yay MAGA. Um, and then uh, like a couple weeks later, I went crazy um, with nine months sober because I was like, oh my God, I've gone nine months without putting anything in my system, like to even alter how I'm feeling for one second. And that was like insane to me, you know? Um, and I like called my sponsor and I was like, Georgia, like, I don't get it. Like, I don't know why this stuff is like, it's sobriety is so hard. Like, it's so funny because like one day I'll be like, sobriety is the best. And then the next day I'll be like, ah, I can't do this thing, you know? Like, it's just insane how alcoholism is. It just totally depends on the day. AA works because we're not all crazy on the same day, you know? <laughs> um, it's so true. And, um, and I like called Georgia and I was like, Georgia, like, I don't know why I feel so like crappy. Like, I, I swear I'm doing everything. Like, I'm even calling three people a day and asking them for advice. And like telling them what's up and like it's not helping and then she went I, just, I will never forget it she's like chico the point of outreach calls isn't to vent it's to ask people how they're doing to be of service and i was like thank you and i was like offended <laughs> i was like i think i would put my problems on people like that you know but like the best thing I've ever done is just do what my sponsor says. Like just the suggestions, especially the ones that I feel like are BS. Doing those ones, like my sponsor, I heard my sponsor speak recently and she talked about how like taking, like she would, the actions she took that she didn't believe in ended up saving her life. Like 
it's the actions that you don't believe in that you do into yeah it save your life so it was kind of like that and so I started doing that I was like okay fine so I called people and I'd be like how are you you know <laughs> tell me <laughs> tell me how you're doing like how you're really doing and I just it's just that's all I did and it worked like I started doing it three people a day and I realized like sometimes one of the maybe like one of the three would have like a real problem going on and they would tell me about it and then I realized like oh my god that got me out of my head and so I was like I'm gonna do this more you know and I remember it got to the point where like every time there was a newcomer at a meeting I'd be like give me your number I'll call you tomorrow and I would do it so then it ended up it ended up getting to this point where I was calling like all these newcomers like five to 10 a day. Like I went, I started going crazy. And then I started organizing these beach dates because like summer had just come around and I was like, let's all go to the beach. So I'd call, I'd be calling all these women a day, telling them about like the beach day the next day or whatever. So there's a gang of us at the beach and like, and I just, and then I started giving rides, which is like, that is the most spiritual thing in the entire world is having a car full of newcomers. Like I swear. And I just remember there was this, there was this girl Gracie. Like I owe Gracie my life because I started giving Gracie a ride every single day like during rush hour traffic, like going to downtown LA during rush hour traffic is not fun, but I would do it every day. And I would take her to the, like the fellowship after the meeting and then take her back home after. And I just remember I was like on that newcomer high, like doing everything like, and just that saved my life. So, I mean, being of service is just like the best, you know, like it, it's like the, like that's where the spiritual high is at. It's like being of service. Um, yeah, and it's just so funny how like, oh, I want to talk about Devlin. I know Devlin spoke here a few weeks ago. Devlin's one of my really good friends. And um, I quit that uh, I quit that rehab job and I started working at a freaking cafe. And I'd worked at Starbucks in high school and I remember being like, okay, the place I worked at, it's called Lala Van Kind Cafe. Like kind is in the name. Um, you're supposed to say, I love you to the guests. <laughs> And you give every customer a compliment and everyone's all like, ah! and I was like, I'm going to kill you guys. <laughs> like, I just had nine months sober and I was like, ah! you know, and I've always had a problem with work. Like I said, I could not get like a job before. I couldn't even put together a resume. And I just remember being like, I would vent about, like when I worked at the rehab place, I'd vent about the rehab place. Like the people said like, it's big, they're money hungry, you know, like they don't actually give it like a damn about people, like blah, 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 blah. And then I remember I worked at this place where everyone says I love you and everyone's really nice and da, da, da. And I was like, they suck, they're money hungry, they don't care about people, like blah, 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 blah. And then one day it like occurred to me that like, wait, maybe I'm the problem. Like, <laughs> maybe I'm the one that has trouble working. And, and I just, I have intense big shot of them too, you guys. Like I just kept thinking, I'm like, I should be recording an album right now. I don't, I should be at this freaking cafe. But I don't know if you guys know, but I work, I still work there, by the way. It's been like two and a half years. I still work there and I love it there now. And there's all these super talented people that work there. Like some of the most talented people work at coffee shops because it's just a bunch of artists and actors and singers and like want to be like, you know, big shots that just like all work together. And I remember I, I was, I've been working there about a month and this guy was like, you know, I started, this guy got hired, I was training him. And he like had all these tattoos and um, I was like, oh, so I, how do you like it here? And he's like, I actually like it. It's better than the last place I worked at because before I worked at a treatment center. And I was like, wait, me too. And I was like, oh. and, and he's like, yeah. 
And I was like, oh my God, me too. I'm like, how much time do you have? He's like, I have three years. I'm like, oh my God, I have 10 months. And that was Devlin. And like, God literally brought me Devlin because if Devlin hadn't worked there with me, I would have like blown that place up. Like it was, it's just so crazy though. Because I love Devlin. Like you guys, he's just the best. Like Topher was saying that he's, he was so genuine and he is like, he's just, he keeps it so real. And like, he saved my life so many times. He's my guy best friend. And I like call him sometimes when I'm like losing it. And he always just, thank you. He always just says like, one thing and it just completely like it just like he's he's able to like communicate with my crazy head you know it just gets through and um he's just one of those really wonderful people and I remember one day we were working there we've been working there for a while and um we were on the floor like we ended up being like kind of like the back of house people like we always worked in the kitchen and he was on the floor one day and we were like vaping on the floor or something and he like looked at me and he's just gonna be like he was just like, this is, this is a time in our lives, Kiko. Like, this is a time in our lives. And it's, that stuck with me too. I'm like, I already know, like, I can already feel it. Like, I have three years now. Like, what do I know in three years, you know? But like, I can look back at that time and be like, he doesn't work there anymore. But I'm like, that was just so important to me. Like, I feel like there's already all these, like, I kind of look at life as like a, like a book, like almost like all, we have all these chapters in our lives. And I feel like the, you know, post one year was such a, like a big chapter. And then maybe like trying to get some time together, working at that cafe with those people, like that was a big one. And um, I remember a little bit after I got a year, um, this girl came in, Sophie, and she had two days and I had over a year sober. And um, she was my best friend in the entire world. She became my best friend. I love how AA like brings people to us. And I remember she had two days, I had over a year and we went to Cafe 50s after for fellowship. And I told her everything that was wrong with my life. And um, she listened to it all and like made me laugh so hard the entire time. Um, and it's basically been like that since, but it's just so funny. Cause I remember like, <sighs> this year has been really trippy. Like there's been a lot of things that have happened that like, I feel like, um, I'm having a hard time with the fact that I'm becoming more of an adult. <laughs> Cause I'm like so used to being me like, you know, really chaotic and like kind of crazy. And it's really weird because everything's good in my life right now. Like I have this like really wonderful apartment that's like pretty decently priced considering LA um, that I worked my ass off to find. Um, and I'm in like a really wonderful relationship with like my best friend in the entire world. And that's like really bizarre to me. Um, and I just came from my parents. Like I spent the weekend with my parents and like my dog, Doug, the golden retriever, he's just, I had a dream last night that he died and I woke up like, <gasps> like it was bad. Um, sorry. I don't know that this doesn't have anything to do with AA, but, um, but it's so weird because like sometimes it's, it's really hard as an alcoholic to accept peace. Like sometimes I feel like I have like one hand's like a peace sign right here, like, yes. And then this other hand right here is over like a big glowing red button that says self-destruct, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel sometimes. And I'm like, I mean, it's so funny. Like I'll just be talking to my sponsor and she'll just be like, I'll tell her like, I don't know. Like I just keep focusing on the bad. And she's like, just focus on the good. And I don't know why, but that also, that direction, like that also helps me too. And um, yeah, if you're new, I just, I just hope you stay and I hope you do this thing. 
And just know that like, like God has got you, you know? I feel like the most, like the people that are the happiest are the most God-centered in my opinion. So like get really into God and just like and into helping people. I heard someone say once before that the first defense, like the first line of defense against the first drink is like, you know, being of service and a connection with God. So get those things and find your people, just get in the middle, like way in the middle and stay in the middle. Um, you don't know what is out there for you. You have no idea like how good it can be. Thank you. Um, like if I could just go like, like sh -sh -sh to your brains and you could see like the future of what your life will be if you do AA, like trust me, you will stay. Cause like, honestly, I think if someone had done that to me, like my 19 year old self, and I would have seen everything before me and I'm just like three and a half years in, you know, I would have been like, really? Like, um, sometimes I get annoyed with this phrase, but like, don't quit before the miracle, you know? Because there really is a miracle out there for you. And every single one of you guys deserves that. You do deserve to have a good life in AA. You really, really do. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Right.